murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. All right, on this True Law Stories, we are going to talk with a golfer who became an attorney, who never thought he was going to become an attorney, Louis Fusco. Louis, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And we're talking about how he represents criminals and the big misconception around it. Wrongful arrest DUI cases in Jacksonville, Florida. DUI manslaughter after one glass of wine and this horrible story. The difference between medical blood tests and legal blood tests and why that's important. What turned Lewis's eyebrow white? Uh, and what happens when rappers are targeted by the police and a shakedown on setup of rappers by their police escort? All this on true law stories. But of course, of course, this is brought to you by videocastory.com. One of the best ways to get more referrals for your business, more leads for your business is through customer stories. We've got 13 ways to land those big fish. You go to videocastory.com slash big fish and we'll show you exactly how. All right, let's get started. Lewis, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about how you became an attorney. Very interesting backstory. I swore that when I got into this, the one thing that I would never do is litigation, anything involving a courtroom or criminal defense. <laughs> I fell into it and ended up falling in love with just trial work and doing polar opposite. Backstory, I initially went to law school, had a sports background, played a lot of golf, and my goal was really to to just get some business experience, go to law school, and possibly do in-house counsel work for the PGA Tour or some kind of just business law in general, or use those skills to further any business transactions that I personally did. And then as things progressed and I started shadowing and getting some courtroom experience, I immediately fell in love with trial work and it just spiraled from there. It was after the first jury trial that I assisted with, then there was no looking back at that point. That's fantastic. That's a great story. It's interesting how he sweared not to do stuff. And then, (laughs) and that's a good one. You did something that you swore something and it worked out for the best. I swear off like donuts and I eat them. Uh, (laughs) And so tell me a little bit about that first trial when you were like, oh my God, this is it. It was when I was in law school, I was shadowing another attorney who was several years older than me, who went to my high school And I was watching his day-to-day. He's a smaller law firm. I was helping him out with a lot of DUI trials and just seeing how there's always two sides to every story. There's never black and white. There's never the answer is yes or no. There's always the eyes of the beholder. And as I'm sitting there and listening to some testimony coming out from police officers or state witnesses, I'm just seeing how skewed perspectives can get. And it really just motivated me to help people that are going through the most traumatic experience of their lives, their freedom, their livelihood, their families at stake. And second, I got a taste of that. There was really no looking back. That's pretty intense. It is intense because it's, it is, it's a lot of times people, they might've done something wrong, but what I've seen is they did something wrong, but it's more the wrong place, wrong time. Not necessarily that most of these people are not like hardened criminals that you're defending, are they? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because the stigma, the natural instinct for people when they hear somebody practices criminal defense is how do you represent criminals or how do you represent somebody you know is guilty 
And it's really not like that. There, there are some cases where obviously that somebody made a, had a lapse in judgment or an isolated incident that was the worst moment of their lives. Um, but it's not always about saying that they didn't do it. It's mitigating the damage. It's presenting their best case and showing the state who they are as an individual, humanizing that person and why they shouldn't get the worst case scenario penalty where their livelihood future is ruined because of it. So it's it, with DUI work, it's, it's very common to see individuals that are older in life. It's all walks of life, but individuals who have never been in trouble with the law, it's literally an isolated incident, a lapse in judgment, maybe getting behind the wheel after having too many. And sometimes not, they get behind the wheel after having one drink and assumptions lead one thing to another and they're wrongfully arrested. <clears throat> and how often do you see that where the DUI is like, it's, I know there can be false positives and all of that. How often does that happen? Man, I wish I could say that it rarely happens, but that is unfortunately not the case. I have seen so many uh, cases, especially in the Jacksonville area. <clears throat> We're such a large city. Everybody's driving where officers, unfortunately, have gotten it wrong. And it's not to say that these officers are intentionally going out lying or misleading individuals. You've got an officer who may see an unusual driving pattern. Somebody could be distracted or not looking at their at the road as they should. They get pulled over. The officer may detect an odor of alcohol because someone had a glass of wine at dinner. Next thing you know, because this individual has worked a long day, he's exhausted, his eyes may be a little bloodshot and watery and movements are a little slower. Officers jump from A to Z that because he consumed alcohol, they must be impaired. And that's unfortunate. That's not the law. And that happens far too often. It is not illegal in Florida to consume alcohol and drive. It's only illegal to drive if you are over the legal limit or you're actually impaired from alcohol consumption. So unfortunately, it's one of those crimes or those alleged offenses that it's a very subjective arrest. The officer has never met the driver before. They don't know how he speaks, how he acts on a day-to-day basis, or what that person is going through. And a lot of times it can lead to huge assumptions and loss of their freedom and livelihood. Oh, it's like one of the scariest things. Just not doing anything wrong and get, ending up in jail. Oh, man. And I would think that's even harder to defend someone who you know is innocent than someone who you feel is guilty. Yeah, you know, that's that's very true. There's one case that really comes to mind when you say that you don't always know what the outcome is going to be in a trial. It's always very risky because you never know what a jury's thinking, no matter how good a case is. And when you're up against the state and they really do believe somebody has committed a crime or that they were impaired, it is scary to know that their lives, their freedom is in your hands, especially if they actually did not do it or they were not impaired. So it's a, it's a pretty big burden that definitely weighs on you. Yeah. And you had a case like that, right? A big case. I've had many cases like that, but the biggest one that sticks out to me is one that I will forget. I will never forget for the rest of my life, it was a very unfortunate incident where there was no winners all the way around. It was a DUI manslaughter case, which is obviously results in the loss of a life and there's no worse, no punishment or more severe incident that could happen. But we've got an individual that 
as I just mentioned, was working all night long, not out drinking, partying all night, was out working, did have a glass of wine at the end of her shift when she gets off and is on the way back home, approximately a 30 minute drive, give or take. There ends up being a head-on collision in a very dark area on the roadway. There's no other vehicles around. Head-on collision. One individual is deceased. No one sees what took place. And they did toxicology results of both drivers. It took over a year before my client ended up getting arrested. And honestly, we never thought she was going to get arrested. Because when her toxicology came back, she was actually under the legal limit. She was literally, I believe it was a 0.058, 0.06 legal limit is a 0.08. What makes matters significantly worse and made this case one that really sticks in the back of my mind is the other driver, unfortunately, should not have been on the roadway in the sense that his license was permanently suspended for, I think it was four or five previous DUIs. The individual was, yeah, he was more than double the legal limit with both drugs and alcohol in his system and actually had a good friend of his tell him right before he got behind the wheel, you're not supposed to be driving. We've been drinking all day. Don't do it. He goes and and drives anyways. That's why initially we assume, look, she's not going to get arrested. She's under the legal limit and nobody knows how this accident took place. Years go by, they end up arresting her. We end up fighting this battle for years and years. And when we get in front of a jury, the most difficult part of this whole case, we were never allowed to tell the jury what the other driver's blood alcohol content was, or the fact that he had a permanent license revocation, or that he had drugs in his system. None of that. Why Why was that? <clears throat> it, the case law on this issue is very narrow in the sense that it, in the judge's eyes, in the court's eyes, it wasn't relevant unless that individual caused or created the accident. The kicker is nobody knows how the accident happened. No one knows exactly what took place, but admittedly, it did look that the tire marks, the gouge marks, it appeared that the accident happened in his lane of travel, which we did not dispute. But why it happened in his lane and whether my client swerved in there because she was trying to avoid him from coming into her lane or whatever it may have been, nobody knows the answer to that. Because that unknown existed and we couldn't prove essentially beyond doubt that he caused the accident, his toxicology and the lack of driving a driver's license just was not allowed and determined not relevant by the court. And if she's under the legal limit, how can she be convicted? So this is one of the first cases that I dealt with where this issue came up, where her legal blood showed that she was a 0.058, 0.06. When she was taken to the hospital, medical personnel typically does blood draws for medical procedures and to see what's going on. And her medical blood results were allegedly 0.09. It's common knowledge in this realm and in this industry that hospital blood is really just a, it's not evidence. It's not scientifically certain. It's more of a a testing bare minimum. It's always highly inflated. So it's common knowledge that it's at least 20% higher, 15 to 20% higher than legal blood. 
So what the state ended up doing is using this medical blood to present this to the jury, which was difficult because we weren't disputing that. But the real evidence shows that she was under the limit. So we had the legal blood. So long story short, they presented this highly inflated medical blood result that wasn't very reliable. There's a number of things that can cause someone's medical blood results to be extremely elevated, and they're not actually over the legal limit. And that's exactly what happened here. And just from an outsider standpoint, and you look at the math of it, and it's, oh, this is one of those things that this person really, it wasn't they're pretty relatively low. We've got this other person. It's a dark highway. There's so many things that could have been happening. And it's years later. Why does a prosecution go after a case like this? Is it, are they just bored? I think from a public policy standpoint, from their perspective, Obviously, drunk driving is a very dangerous thing that they do not want to happen. It's one of the number one leading causes of death with car accidents. They've got that aspect of it. And then having a a deceased individual on scene whose family is rightfully so going to push and contact the state daily to say, are you Mm -hmm. going to prosecute? Are you going to do something about this? Which is a double-edged sword because they also know and understand that the other individual, and I hate to say it, being deceased is he wasn't 100% innocent here, being that we know he was over the limit and shouldn't have been driving. But in no way does that mean he should have passed away from this. So it's a balancing act of doing what's in the best interest of society and the state of Florida as a whole, as well as the victim's family and acting as a deterrent if they truly believe they can prove somebody's over the legal limit. It To this day, I stand by the fact that she was not. There was 20 witnesses in the case, including medical personnel and anybody that made contact with my client were adamant that none of them even detected any signs of alcohol impairment. Instead, it was a traumatic brain injury from a head-on collision. Oh my gosh. That's, that's just, it's tough. It's tough. And what type of personal mechanisms do you use after something like that? Obviously you need to set it aside, but it's tough to set something like that aside. Yeah, you're taught to not take these cases personally and to not get too involved. And that's impossible for me. We're all human. I I do this because I do want to help someone. And if I truly believe in the cause and I truly believe that they're getting railroaded and didn't do something, it's very tough to compartmentalize that and not take it personally, as well as all of my staff in the office. We fought that case for many years and got very close to our client because we all believed in in the cause. And it's tough. I don't think I'll ever shake that one off. Yeah, I can imagine. Let's move. My eyebrow uh, turned white, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> that, two months after I started my law firm, my eyebrow literally turned white. Not kidding. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's intense. That's intense. That was distracting because I was like, wow, that's obviously your body telling you something. All right, let's move on slightly more positive. You've represented a lot of people in the music industry, correct? Yeah, I have. It's strange how I fell into that as well. Before I was an attorney, I did some music management and I worked with some different rappers and would help in booking shows or putting artists on tour and investing in some of these tours And as I became a licensed attorney, a lot of the individuals that I did shows with or that I managed, it came full circle, would all call me for legal advice. 
Nice. And you've had some interesting stories with these over the years, correct? <laughs> yeah, I've had quite a bit, especially in the rap community, because there's a stigma with law enforcement and rappers, especially in this area in Jacksonville, where a lot of these rappers are categorized as gang members in the state's eyes and in these officers' eyes. And they're products of their environment. They're individuals who finally have an opportunity to get out of that environment by having a record deal or an opportunity to do something with their life, unlike most of the people they know. And they essentially become a target. And maybe some of it is warranted. A lot of it's the music that kind of triggers police to give them an extra look and follow every move they make. But yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Never a dull moment. And you had a, a one that was a mix-up, right? Where they hired an uh, a police officer to protect them and then ended up getting arrested? Yeah, funny you say mix-up. Mix-up in my client's eyes for sure, but very calculated from the detective's eyes and who were involved. There was a local concert that was taking place in Jacksonville. There was a very well-known artist signed to a pretty large record label that was coming in town. And being that he's from this area, wanted to make sure that his team was safe. The record label wanted to make sure everything ran smoothly. Everything was by the book. So they did the best thing that they could. They hired armed security guards. They hired extra police at this show. And in addition, they hired police escort to take them to and from the show, along with their six-car caravan, to make sure that nobody tried anything to and from when they're arriving or leaving the show. So... And they arrive to the show and uh, everything goes well. They, the show, no, no incidents there. There's no violence. The show ends. The caravan jumps in their vehicle, expecting to be escorted out by law enforcement. When they leave, 20 police cars uh, attempt to conduct traffic stops. But all of these vehicles in this caravan, they're not stopping because they hired police escort. They didn't think they were being pulled over and assume that these emergency lights that they're seeing in their rearview mirror is the police escort doing their job, which they paid them to do. It turns out that some of these smaller units within the overarching sheriff's office was really targeting these individuals. And from what I've gathered, essentially told the officers escorting, you're not doing this escort. You are to stand down. We are stopping these vehicles. We want to speak to some individuals. And their logic or their excuse for doing this was there was an individual that was in this group of people that was actually the victim of a crime, not the suspect or a perpetrator. He had allegedly been shot three or four months prior, survived, and they claimed that they were doing this because they wanted to speak to him. (laughs) Surely if they wanted to speak to them, they could have made contact with the officers escorting to say, hey, can you arrange for this individual to talk to us? anything other than trying to stop these vehicles and have this very dangerous situation play out, which is exactly what happened. Oh my God. That is a big mess. And so what happened? So they end up all six vehicles. There's probably 20 individuals, including the armed hired security guards. They all get handcuffed. They're all pulled over and held at gunpoint, slammed on the ground and detained for 10 plus hours in the sheriff's office. A lot of the vehicles, in fact, believe all of the vehicles had firearms in them for protection, most of which, like I said, was the armed security guards, individuals with concealed weapon permits, 
they were all concerned when being pulled over one of the vehicles in particular, that if there's guns in our car, legal or not, we're going to get shot and killed by police during this traffic stop when we're trying to do the right thing. So before they come to a complete stop, my client is in a vehicle that there were firearms thrown out of the vehicle. Officers see the guns thrown out of the vehicle, detain these individuals, and ended up letting my client go, not arresting him. About a year goes by from the date of this traffic stop, and all of a sudden, an arrest warrant is issued claiming that his DNA was on one of the firearms. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was an absolute shakedown, in in my opinion, and others may look at it totally different, but it was certainly a setup-type situation where they were attempting to create a, a terrible situation, and all of the drivers of these vehicles were ended up getting charged with fleeing and eluding police, which is a felony in the state of Florida. Oh my gosh. Despite the officers knowing, we know you hired JSO to escort and we told them (laughs) to not escort you. And there's got to be that intentional element of failing to stop and knowing it's police, knowing you're being stopped and refusing to do so for it to be fleeing and eluding and none of which existed here. So it was a mess. Oh, man. How long did that take to resolve? So after a year goes by, he's arrested, fought the case for not as long as I'd expected. I think it was about nine months, give or take. The state was not budging on their offers and heavy-handed offers, wanting prison sentences for a lot of these individuals. Thankfully, we ended up going to trial and ended up getting a not guilty despite the state's position that 95% of my client's DNA was on one of the firearms, but our whole defense and argument and everything shown on the officer's body-worn cameras where the entire scene was just created by law enforcement and completely contaminated where all of this DNA was just being spread carelessly and then charged whoever they decided to charge down the road didn't matter to them. And that was our position and our theory of the defense. And obviously the jury sided with us and exonerated him of the charge. That's good. That's congratulations on that. That's a crazy story. Oh, I can't. That's a crazy one. So you got ones like that outweigh the DUI manslaughter where in both of those, I truly believe my clients were innocent and one justice prevails and the other, the scales did not tip in our favor. These have been amazing stories. I appreciate you sharing them. And so Someone, tell us a little bit more about your practice and wh- how does someone get a hold of you? How does someone work with you? Yeah, so we're offices right across from the Duval County Courthouse, Jacksonville, Florida. We do everything from criminal defense to family law and personal injury. We have a select clientele of entertainment clients. They can give us a call. We do free consultations for all areas of practice. The office number is 904-567-3113. And they can find us online at fuscolaw.org. Awesome. We'll put all links to all that in the show notes. If you're listening online or you're listening on the podcast, you can click on the image. If you're on YouTube, you can click down below. And hopefully you don't need them. But if you do, obviously, Lewis here is a great attorney and really cares about his clients. Lewis, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate your time and I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And thank you all for taking Lewis and I on our journey. This has been Iron Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by videocasestory.com. 
testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.